Third Impact Anime, this is Basil of the Awesome Cast, and want to wish y'all very much congratulations on 100 episodes. That is amazing. So, congratulations, 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 congratulations. You know, penguin sounds. Hey folks, and welcome back to another episode of the Third Impact Anime Podcast. I'm your host, Austin, coming to you live from Tokyo 3, and today I'm joined by some excellent co-hosts. Blood type blue, it's Tobias! Guten Tori, make sure you think those German thoughts, everyone! Lederhosen, Wiener Schnitzel, Wunderbar! And I'm Ryan, and I'm currently piloting Evangelion Unit 69, and we're gonna have to make this quick, and because my umbilical cable just came unplugged, so time's ticking. He only has 420 seconds before yeah. he explodes. <laughs> yep, only 420 nice. seconds. On today's episode, we are not only going to commemorate our 100th episode of the podcast, but we're also going to be talking about the series that gave us our name, Neon Genesis Evangelion. We're not going to be talking about everything Evangelion because there is just so much to talk about, but we will be talking about specifically the original TV series and how we individually came to it and what it means for us today and what viewers can get out of it if they're coming to it for the first time in 2020. Uh, But before that, we did want to say a few words looking back sort of at the last 100 episodes and the last three going on four years of this podcast. Uh, If you look on our podcast feed, you'll see that there are more than 100 episodes actually on the feed. Um, But this is like specifically episode 100. Like from all of our numbered episodes, this is number 100. And this is the one that we're using to commemorate the 100th. So there you go. That's why this is episode 100. Uh, So I guess I've I've never we've never really dove into really the story of how third impact anime sort of came to be and i guess we could kind of tell that story even though it's a little boring honestly so we all sort of came together through a combination of meeting at conventions in the north carolina area or meeting uh, at university like for example ryan and i we ran the anime meetings for our university's Japanese club, and that sort of led us to doing uh, conventions at, or excuse me, doing panels at conventions. Uh, I had been a longtime convention attendee uh, even before college, but it wasn't really until I got into the college environment that I found that I really had a passion for standing up in front of an audience and talking about anime in kind of an educated and interesting way and sort of doing the Japanese club made me really want to do it at conventions more often. Um, And we kind of decided from there, just talking about anime stuff at just at cons really wasn't cutting it for us. So we decided to sort of make (laughs) a podcast out of it and we hadn't really stopped since then. 
Uh, we've had some major changes, most notably like a big name change going from our original podcast, uh, Borderline Anime Podcast, to now Third Impact Anime. Uh, but we've made some stuff that we're really proud of over the past few years. So I guess for everyone, we can sort of just go around the table a little bit. What are some of the moments from the last few years of the podcast that really stood out to you that you're really proud of? And that can either be on the podcast side or on the convention panel side. Man, it's really hard to pin down a singular moment, you know? Uh, there's, yeah. there's so much growth, really. Uh, so much has kind of changed since we first got together in, in late 2017, uh, doing these uh, panels sort of together and just talking more and then moving into the, the podcast. Uh, I mean, I've, I've kind of went through the uh, the entire archive trying to find some standout moments, and there's just so many. You know, I've got a lot of memories mm -hmm. of watching this stuff together with you all and talking about it uh, over Discord and recording these episodes. Uh, but I think for me, I think sort of the highlights, the things that I'm most proud of with the Third Impact Anime podcast uh, would be the, epi the episodes that I edited. Uh, I had come into this uh, knowing how to talk about anime, but not really knowing how to do any edit, you know, uh, editing any audio or anything like that. So I kind of had to teach myself how to, uh, to do that. Uh, so for myself, I edited the Belladonna of Sadness episode uh, that I was on with Sully and Bill. Uh, hi, guys. And uh, I think our, one of our big standout moments, and I, I think uh, <laughs> I'm sure I will share this with, uh, with some of you here, but just doing the Tiffany Grant episode uh, was a big mm. moment. Uh, yeah, uh, we started sort of to plan that, and uh, I remember uh, riding the bus home from work and giving the—I think it was the message from Tori. It's like, <laughs> oh God, she said yes. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> We've got it. Uh, just it completely blew my mind at the time. I think there was a a moment uh, standing outside waiting for the bus to arrive that I just kind of had a mental a mental freak out uh, at that moment. That it sort of felt like we made it, you know. Um, I don't think there's really any easy way to measure our success, but uh, being able to see things like that really, really stood out to me. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, you just reminded me. It's like uh, Tobias, you were one of the folks that we sort of came to know through conventions, and mm -hmm. the reason you and I met, you know, way well before, um, well, maybe not well before, but a few years before Third Impact Anime came together, is that we were both doing a panel about Studio Gainax at the same convention, yeah. Animazement, at yeah. the same weekend, we and were... you just wanted to show up to uh, kick my butt. I did. I, I came to show up to, becoming to, friends. to heckle you, and uh, <laughs> you put on a really good panel. I learned some stuff that I don't really have in mind. I was uh, correcting you mentally, if not audibly. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, it was kind of a yeah, sort of the final moment where I was, hey, this guy is sort of we we kind of jive, you know, the same same yeah, wavelength yeah. as far as anime fandom. So mm -hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to him. Yeah, um, I have like so many memories like with this group specifically, but like one of my favorite things was when you, me, and Andrew Austin we interviewed Paul St. Peter, the voice of Zemnis and Karama from yeah. Naruto. That was like early days. That was kind of a I surreal like moment because we were like. We actually got him to agree to this. Like, this might right? actually exactly. become something. Yeah, that was really, that was one of our super early episodes. And really, at that point, we hadn't really even been doing conventions or panels for that long. And it just felt like such a surreal moment. I mean, yeah. to, to actually get, you know, this guy that we had observed as fans for many years, you know, of course, through Kingdom Hearts and you with Naruto. It's just like being able to sit down with this guy in a uh, 
in a room in a basketball arena in Asheville, North Carolina, which shout <laughs> yeah. out to Tobias yeah. because you, you, you uh, hooked you, us up with that. I yeah, you were on uh, you were on staff for that con, so really you you really helped us out with that one a lot. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that was super strange. Yeah. Like, uh, that, but that just really felt like in that moment, it's just like, oh my gosh, if we can if we can interview Paul St. Peter and interview him competently and show that we can do a good show then maybe this will signal to future guests that we are not entirely full of crap and we are actually worth them giving us their time at least for a little bit yeah and i think that really did kickstart our ability to get other other more other amazing guests on the show over the years we've got like close to what like seven or eight interviews now i might be miscounting horribly yeah, I mean, I believe so. Probably more than that, yeah. but it's yeah, we've got a lot, got a good few. There, my my favorite thing that I did with anybody though is like when John and I would record the video game se- segments like way back at the beginning when we were trying to like diversify and still find our niche. Mm-hmm. Um, he and I would record at this studio that he had access to because he had an, an editing side job. And there was one day in particular he and I were talking about Persona Five, and we were so excited about it. And we ordered, like, two pizzas. He he had some work to do. So he set me up in this theater that he... It was soundproof because they would use it for, you know, recording and whatnot. But he could see through the window. And I was on the last three episodes of Code Geass. And (laughs) he was watching me watch this through soundproofing. And I remember when when I had, like, the end moment happen... My mind was blown, and I was, like, thrashing around soundproof. And John, I just look over and see John through the soundproof glass laughing his ass off at me. <laughs> it was just... So I know John's a big fan of Code Geass, so he knew oh, yeah. what was coming. He knew exactly what was happening, so he was just laughing really hard. And even though I couldn't hear anything and he couldn't hear me, it was just really funny. And the two of us, he was just like, I know exactly what just happened. And I was like, yeah, but... <laughs> that, that was That's like really a really funny. anytime he and i hung out and did one of those it was always a really fun time yeah. And you know that's so interesting to say because I mean that was a much old that was an older show from an older podcast that y- y'all don't do anymore. Yeah. But it sort of laid laid the groundwork for what eventually became mid shelf gaming. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Because then I met. If you want to fill if you want to fill in listeners as to what that is, just for context. Yeah, mid shelf gaming is my side channel. Um, well, not really a side channel. It's another project that I work on um on youtube and i met edwin and will and we decided together because i wanted to do stuff with gaming they had the idea for a youtube channel for years and so did i so we were like let's do it together and so we do and there you go yeah we're currently working on an episode uh for god it's bad that i don't remember this but i'm also on vacation right now uh yeah 20 seconds let's go yeah Oh yeah, we're working on an episode of Zelda clones. I'm very excited oh, for it. Okay, sweet. Yeah, that should be very exciting. So, Tori, what are your some some of your favorite memories from uh, from the days of Third Impact? Yeah, um, I was gonna say the Tiffany Grant interview as well before Tobias stole it, um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was very proud of myself for orchestrating that so much so that I kind of strong armed myself into guest outreach. Um, so through that, I was able to, you know, get our Star Boom Slank interview and I definitely have some other people in mind and, uh, you know, they gave us really good advice whenever we talked to them where it was like, the worst you're going to get is a no. So you should just ask anyway, (laughs) which is, uh, which is horrifying for me to 
conceive and grapple with and understand. But um, definitely I'm excited to push myself to ask a few more people that I have in mind. Um, let's see. I had a lot of fun. I guess since that one was already taken, I had a lot of fun um, with the live episode that we did with uh, the Hamacon crew. And I hope mm-hmm. that eventually... We get to do something like that again, whether it's at a convention with all of us together or um, co-hosting with another set of podcasters. I thought that was really unique, and I love when uh, shows I listen to do the exact same thing. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, that I definitely want to do fun. another live episode at some point. The first one we ever mm-hmm. did is like Lost to Time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Um, that was a triad like three years ago, I think. <laughs> There were like mm-hmm. seven of us at the table. Oh, yeah, it was way yeah. too crowded. It was, it was a mess, it was, it was and then John lot. lost the audio. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, but I Love guess. You John, I hate you, John. <laughs> um, I guess if anything, this has all taught me how to work people a lot better. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's just, in a good way. In a good way. Uh huh. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Good way. <laughs> Tori good is way. the new puppet <laughs> master. <laughs> um, but I don't know. It, it's just been fun being able to. Um, talk about things that we all enjoy even you know when i'm kind of going through the down slump of feeling like i'm not enjoying anything it's fun to kind of come together and uh, talk about it regardless so it's been a good time yeah i i think for me sort of in the macro sense it's just kind of been amazing to watch like kind of you know it i mean obviously third impact anime is a huge group effort but it was like kind of largely like my brainchild in addition to everybody else's input so it's it's just been kind of amazing to see this thing like sustained and continued on like year after year like we've had we've had some moments or some months rather where we haven't put out as many episodes as we'd like you know production's been a little bit slow people have been feeling burnt out and especially around now because of like the covid stuff and everything people everybody's not in their best mental shape but uh going back and looking at our feed we haven't missed a month since we started in 2017 like and i'm extremely proud of that like just to see the fact that you know we have continued to put out content pretty consistently for three going on four years and i I think that's just pretty amazing i think it's just a testament to um you know our ability to work together i think we're a really good team I think everybody brings different strengths to the table, and I think whenever we make space for those strengths to be actualized, we can make some, like, really awesome, cool, fun stuff. Um, but I guess more specifically, like, for me, I think I think our experiences at um, being guests at Hamacon is all, has been just a absolute blast, like getting to meet and befriend the wonderful folks from the awesome cast, our buddy Basil and his wife, Anna, and all those other guys, uh, just, uh, getting to know them and getting closer with them has been such a treat. And the fact that like last year we were the featured panelist guests for Animazement, like yeah. our home flagship convention that we've been, that I've been going to since I was like 14. And then they, we approached them ago. and said, Hey, you know, we've got, x amount of panel hours and we've proven to you that we can do pretty entertaining work that really draws a crowd how about making us featured panelists wink wink and then they said yes and then i was like holy crap you know we kind of we get we did this thing 
and then we put on a great show and they really liked us and they were gonna have us back this year but you know life happens so yeah there, there was something that got year. in the way of that and I, don't, I can't really remember what it was though oh yeah everybody's forgotten about it yeah <laughs> my uh miss piggy diva came out and they said we can't work with this good luck <laughs> the one thing i gotta say though is um i can't remember exactly who i was talking to about this but i think it was just somebody like in the halls at ichi and i mentioned that we do a podcast and i you know obviously pointed them our way and they were like, how long have you you guys been active? And at the time, it was like for only a year. And I was like, well, we've only been at it for a year. And they're like, yeah, but you've actually made it a year. Most podcasts don't make it I, past like the third week. I was just thinking That's about that true. because I was going to say, well, you know, we have a leg up on most of the competition because most anime podcasts seem to only last about five episodes and then they just tank. Yeah, um, most yeah. podcasts in general. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're too meme There's not much thought put into them. Not saying that we're like the pinnacle of highbrow entertainment or anything but um well i'll say i (laughs) i feel like you can tell that we put a lot of work into what we do we still have fun we're still a bunch of goofballs but um i am happy and proud to see that we put a lot of research and a lot of thought and articulation into what we say yeah we've definitely come a long way from austin sully and i recording an episode in sully's very unsoundproof dorm room (laughs) <laughs> yeah we all have nice mics now yeah well, relatively nice yeah because it used to be us crowding around a single mic uh... <laughs> everyone, this is Seller. Um, obviously, I'm not on this episode, but since it is the 100th episode of the Third Impact Anime Podcast, I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you um, to everyone who's listened to us or gone to any of our panels or has been a guest on the show. Uh, this is something that started out as an amateur podcast that we recorded in my apartment when I was still an undergrad. And we did it on the floor of my bedroom, sitting around one mic, and it's really wild to think that uh, already, in just the short time we've been doing this, we've gone as far as we have. I've had the chance to meet and speak with amazing people and get to know all sorts of different fans through doing this, and it really has brought a lot of joy and meaning into my life, as I'm sure it has everyone else who works on it. So... I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart to both the listeners, the guests we've had, and of course everyone else I have the opportunity to work with doing the Third Impact Anime podcast. So thank you guys. Here's to another 100 episodes. Bye! So probably if you're listening to an anime podcast, more specifically an anime podcast called the Third Impact Anime Podcast, you probably have some level of familiarity with Neon Genesis Evangelion. But if you do not, we'll sort of try and give you a basic 
framework or a basic uh, foundation for exactly what Ava is. It is an anime TV series that came out in 1995. It was directed by Hideki Anno uh, and created by Studio Gainax. Um, Studio Gainax is probably most known for Evangelion, but before Ava, they were already a pretty well, uh, well-praised studio. They had... Uh, they were all essentially college students that sort of came up through making a lot of fan works and uh, fan films and um, things like that and sort of made a name for themselves in that space and really got a lot of notoriety from those specific works that they made. And specifically Hideki Anno is probably the, the one of the early Gainax crew who got the most accolades. Uh, he even attracted the attention of Hayao Miyazaki, who brought him on to do animation for Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind um, right. yeah. way back in the late 80s. I think it's also interesting that Evangelion is the show that saved Gainax as a company because... Yeah, that is, that's really true. Yeah, when this came out, they were not doing well. So it was basically like, if this fails, so do we. And it didn't. It right. did very well. So Gainax is... It's still around in a sense, like they've kind of splintered a bit, but it's still it's still there. Yeah, and it's it's definitely important to note that the Gainax of 1995 is extremely different from the Gainax of 2020. Right. Even, if there even is a Gainax anymore. <laughs> oh, like, I'd Gainax say more so the Gainax exactly. of 1995 is the studio trigger of 2020. Uh, yeah, I mean, you could say that. Um, you could say that. And a lot of folks from Studio Trigger got their start on Neon Genesis Evangelion specifically. Like right. Hiroyuki Amaishi and Yoyo Shinari, some of the founders of Studio Trigger, they started as key animators on this original TV series. So it's incredibly important for the history of Trigger in this way and in many other ways that we'll talk about probably on a different podcast. But um, coming to Evangelion, they uh, Studio Gainax and Anno were coming off of a sort of rocky rocky road for Gainax. I mean, a lot of their works um, were like very they were they were big fan favorites, but they were not necessarily critical or commercial successes. Like Gunbuster, for example, their late 80s OVA was uh, very beloved by anime fans, very praised, still really holds up today in a lot of ways and really lays the groundwork for what Evangelion eventually became. But their film um uh, Royal Space Force, The Wings of Honiamis, which they worked on in coordination with Bandai, was kind of not the success that they were looking for. It didn't do super duper well. And then their following TV series that they did for, I want to say, TV Tokyo, um, which was Nadia, The Secret of Blue Water, again, was a very fraught production and really cost the studio a whole lot of money. I think... I mean, this is sort of my my analysis of the situation, but Nadia was a gigantic sort of... They, they sort of bit off more than they could chew with that one, where it was a massive 39-episode series that a relatively young studio was put in yeah. charge of, and so they had I think never a, really done that before. So I think it's important to sort of remember as well, when you look at the long arc of things, we think of animators now and people that grow into key animation, into directorial roles, it takes a long time. You know, we have people like Miyazaki that aren't stepping down. Uh, people are having to sit on the lower rungs for a lot longer now. 
But here we have a group of people who right out of college, hell, in college, uh, Anna was working on uh, SDF Macross and shortly thereafter Nausicaa, like very, very young animators. And immediately after working on those series, having to um, move right into Nadia, direct Nadia, and Gunbuster, the OVAs. So Anna at this point is very, very young, thrust into this directorial role because Gainax isn't, this huge production studio like we think of it now they are still very uh i want to say the word amateur loosely but they're still fairly amateur you know they did work on aniyamis this uh, theatrical release but they were still again fairly young so the story with nadia is that um the the original backing uh studio which they were trying to pitch it to a bunch of different people including uh miyazaki and ghibli but there was a bunch of financial issues it kind of flopped all around and they just picked up this young studio. Let's just foist it upon these these youngins, make them do it. Uh, of course, Gainax said, absolutely, we're there. Yes, sir. Because they needed to do really any work at that point. Yeah, it could have been their big break and kind, kind of was. Oh, I mean, for sure. Like, them a little. Nadia, when we talk in the context of Ava, Nadia is definitely a negative. But Nadia's Secret of Blue Water was, I, I would say, maybe not so much a financial success, but it is still notable. It is a series People talk about the later arcs as kind of flopping and some of the issues that arose from that and Anna's subsequent depression. But uh, it's not like Nadia was a complete and total disaster, you know? Right, right. And uh, so in the lead up to Ava, you know, everyone sort of knows that uh, since Nadia flopped, we had these these studio execs above Anno sort of telling him what to do. We had these very uh, hard weekly deadlines of turning in these these episodes week to week. Uh, he just felt generally bad about that. Again, being a very amateur, a very um, undisciplined studio and a director at that point, you know, Anna's always known to be a really great animator himself but as far as managing a project maybe not quite so much i think that's just sort of his general approach to the art kind of it's like he's he's very much a perfectionist and very much has a specific vision that he wants to realize and is also extremely hard on himself at the same time so he's one of those it's just like if i can't do it perfectly then it it's upsetting to me yeah i think he's definitely more into the art transitioning to more of a project manager role that you know what a director really kind of is to some degree i think that was a bit of a challenge especially for a weekly show that like you said did run 39 episodes that is certainly not a a short show by any stretch of the imagination right absolutely and sort of that that sort of gives us the context of where studio gynax was uh in preparation for evangelion coming out in 1995 um but i guess sort of to explain evangelion as as kind of what it is it is a 26 episode tv series that ran from october of 1995 26 weeks later till i'm not exactly sure what time of the year that would have been i can't Mm -hmm. do math in my head um but anyway it is a story that follows a young boy named shinji akari and one day he is summoned by his father to come to tokyo 3 uh to 
what he thinks is going to be like a family reunion because he hasn't seen his dad in a long time and he's he lost his mom at a very young age but he gets there and finds out that his father wants him to pilot this gigantic robot thing called a evangelion and that if he doesn't do it the entire city is going to be destroyed so as we all would shinji is extremely fraught and uh, disturbed by this um request that has been thrust upon him and the story just kind of evolves from there and you there's this angle of like supernatural lovecraftian biblical horror that comes along with the series and it 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 is very monster of the week for a while we get introduced to our most prominent side characters in the forms of the uh, other pilots uh asuka and ray and then shinji's um sort of pseudo parent parental figure misato who is a very interesting case in of herself the true main character of evangelion arguably and uh all of uh, a wonderful cast of of, uh side characters as well but as the show progresses it it gets a lot more introspective a lot more impressionistic and really goes down this rabbit hole of exploring sort of the internal strife of its main characters in ways that are both related to giant aliens coming from space and very much not related to that and more about their own personal sort of uh hang-ups related to their their past and their future and their personalities and their relationship with others and i mean i would argue that for me the the thing that really draws me into evangelion is is that very human element to it of exploring our deepest anxieties our deepest um insecurities and things like that uh in addition to it just being an extremely um extremely well-designed concept an extremely interesting concept that pulls a lot of uh intrigue and the series is also visually gorgeous like all of the character designs are extremely simple but extremely unique and memorable and just very memorable and immediately iconic just immediately iconic um including the designs of the robots which were very non-traditional the evangelians do not look like mazingers they do not look like gundam um they look extremely unique and uh the the toy companies that were in partnership with gynax were actually a little worried about that early on they thought that the evangelians were designed a little bit too weird and they would never sell toys but jokes on them jokes on them austin (laughs) bought enough for everybody (laughs) i wish i think too just like speaking to the characters and their just relating to their interpersonal relationships i think it's all very realistic and relatable i mean no we're probably not ever gonna pilot giant robots in our lifetime but almost all of us are gonna feel at some point like we're not good enough or someone could easily replace us or you know maybe i'm not happy with life and i think that is a real draw to the series as well um given all the other stuff you mentioned as well interpersonal relationships is definitely the um is definitely like the defining feature of this show to me because it's like it's a mecha show but it's not a traditional mecha show where like gundam is the mecha fight of the week it definitely has the monster of the week but you know it's it definitely has more of a focus on the actual people rather than the battles the battles are important Mm -hmm. but they more drive the character development than anything else yeah i think this is kind of a point that 
you see a lot of people bring up um, the discourse. You, know, you get a lot of it, especially when you've been involved in, in talking about Ava for a long time. I, I don't think Ava was the first series to really talk about interpersonal relationships, not really to focus on the characters. I don't think it's entirely fair. Oh, certainly fair. not. I mean, there's, well, a, yeah, there's, a, there's a ton of that in uh, Mobile Suit Gundam, yeah. for example, like even sure, the classic yeah. Gundam. But it's, it's like even so, Ava delves into you know deep deep psyche in a way yeah that i mean that's that's really, kind of what i'm getting yeah. at like a lot of people talk about you know ava didn't win the first to do it actually <laughs> you know ava, ava wasn't the first to do it uh well no i mean you're right like gundam was has certainly featured deeper plots for a sort of a kid's show frame they're just like ava you know apes a lot of the classic uh toku uh you know kaiju sort of stuff and even the mm-hmm. giant robot stuff but you you watch Ava, you watch the last two episodes and you show me we're gonna nib that and <laughs> yeah, then you can then you can come to this table. Like I again not trying to downplay all these other shows. You know, we we sort of decided we weren't gonna use the word deconstruction, even though I'm just gonna <laughs> use it now. And that word gets is kinda gets thrown around a lot and people just it, it it's it's lost all meaning to me because everyone sort of uses it for anything that's different than the genre ex, you know expects so i don't know if it's fair to say like ava is a quote-unquote deconstruction i don't want to say it's completely original but i do think that when you it's it is certainly greater than the sum of its parts i wouldn't I think like that now that i think about it i wouldn't things. call it a deconstruction because the deconstruction is more so it takes tropes and just kind of pokes fun at them Evangelion doesn't do that. It takes an established genre and does something different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'd exactly. say it's more of a subversion if we're looking yeah. for a specific word yeah. to attach. If we to want to it. put a label on it, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think these these other shows have certainly talked about their characters, but the way that Ava does it specifically, and kind of what Tori was saying earlier about the every character is very interesting. Uh, every character in the show is their own degree of messed up. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas you see a lot of these shows, you know, the adults are kind of just the adults and the kids are there to, you know, be the real heroes and rise up and pile the robots and save the world. Gamers rise but, uh, up. That's never really the case. And, you know, the adults <laughs> here are, are, uh, are just kind of messed up as well. Uh, Mizato has her trauma. Uh, Gendo has his, even though he's not really upfront about it. And, uh, they, they all kind of do. And I think they all kind of come together to have a really interesting cast of characters to tell this, this story. DDR gamers specifically rise up. <laughs> God. <laughs> Congratulations to Austin for his great leadership and fantastic editing skills to Sully who always makes me laugh and is our resident historian and to Tsori and Tobias for keeping us on track and always providing interesting perspectives and to you the listener for giving us a chance and enjoying our tomfoolery thank you so much I guess one thing that I definitely wanted to discuss on this episode was how each of us specifically sort of came to Evangelion. So I think Tobias, either you or Tori were probably the ones that came to Ava the earliest. So I'll let one of you pick and I guess I'll go ahead and just pick Tori. Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, I remember first getting into Ava whenever it was airing on Toonami, which means I was 
too young to be watching Ava at that point. <laughs> Gosh, what year would that have been? Um, it would have been early 2000s. Yeah. yeah. And it was, yeah, I mean, I realize now, yeah, I realize now it was edited to hell and back, um, obviously. But that's my first memory of watching Ava. I can remember Shinji in Unit 1, and um, I know that's in a lot of episodes, but... I just have clear-cut memories of him sitting in the pit and piloting Ava 1, and it's just always stuck with me. And then kind of fell out of anime as a kid. Um, If it wasn't Sailor Moon or, like, Digimon or Beyblade, I was kind of just really uninterested. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then... Beyblade? Really, Tori? Oh, my God. I was a Beyblade stan, let me tell you. Yeah, she was I, I did. I let it rip. <laughs> um, I had so many of those things, and that's all I did was watch the show. But that's neither here nor there. Anyway, right. um, I remember seeing the characters again online at some point. Cause, you know, everybody was posting anime images anywhere, really. Um, but I remember seeing Rei and Asuka and Shinji and being like, wait a minute. I I remember that. Um but, I know these kids. Yeah. Um, and that was, that was maybe, I don't know, some years after. But then the real, the real um, kind of turning point for it was when I started getting more involved online. And I saw um, people posting about it and talking about it. And then that's all I consumed. That's all I talked about. That's all I would eat. That's all I'd breed. That was my core personality. And I think that's why I... <laughs> um, shoot for the core. Um, that's why I feel like I have a lot of sentiment and a lot of attachment and a lot of like, this is mine and you're not allowed to have it mentality for this <laughs> series. Because it it literally, when I went to rewatch it for the first time as an older teen, early adult, I was like, really blown away. And I was going through a rough time in my life where I was having a lot of those same thoughts. And I'm, I'm still, you know, dealing with that stuff now. But it's just like, that was my gospel when I was <laughs> that age. And I know that sounds so silly. But it was just so... I felt like that was the first time something understood me and I understood it. Uh, it sounds so dramatic. But um, I don't know. I don't know, man. I found it on Toonami. Forgot about it, saw the characters, forgot about it, and then was reminded of it again and rewatched it again. And that was just me as a person and is still very much me as a person. I can definitely say with certainty that I am the latest to watch this show. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I know you, Austin, can attest to that because you showed it to me. Yes, that was only just a few years ago. Yeah, that was like right before we started this, like right before. So, um, I had seen a chunk of Rebuild 2 on Toonami, but I was so lost that I was just like, I don't care what's happening right now, because uh, one of my friends really wanted to watch it, but we came in in the middle of it, and he was, like, trying to explain everything, but as pretty much anybody knows, trying to explain Evangelion quickly doesn't work. So, he he was trying to explain it. I was so lost, and I was like, I'll watch it eventually. And then Austin and I were talking. I don't remember exactly how it came up, but, like, I mentioned that I had never seen it, and he's like, well, you gotta. And so, <laughs> it's, it's required reading. Yeah. yeah, I probably said something like that at the time. <laughs> if you um, want to be my friend, you have to watch this show. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, well, that so reminds Aust- me. 
of like Austin being like, well, I watched this show because of you because we followed, he followed me online at that time. Hey, I'm, get, I'm, I'm, I'm getting to oh, that. Don't you? tell my story for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry, sorry. You can just edit that out. That's fine. Yeah, you're fine. But uh, so Austin, he, he was so insistent on giving me the authentic experience because if you know me and my anime habits, I can, I watched Death Note in the past week in two days. I killed 37 episodes in, like, basically two sittings. So, (laughs) Austin told me that we were going to space it out and I was going to pace it. Because he wanted me to think about everything as I watched it. And that was very annoying, especially when I got to the end. (laughs) But I'm glad he made me do it because there were a lot of things I thought about that I wouldn't have thought about if I was just blitzing the show. And, like, I would, like, message him thoughts I had. And he's just like, yeah, maybe. I don't know, man. When in reality, he was a liar. <laughs> and he knew very well what I was saying. <laughs> well, see, I, I, di- I didn't want to stifle your, you know, your creative juices rolling. I wanted you to be able to, you know, think, yeah. <laughs> think through the series for yourself. I didn't want to, you know, spoon feed it to you. But from what I recall, you know, we, we watched it in, in, like, you know. We watched it in, like, a month. Yeah, we watched it um, probably in a few sittings over the course of a couple weeks. We did, I like, think three we episodes like at a time, like, yeah, once yeah. every couple days. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember, did I make you take a break after episode 26? Yes. Okay. You made okay. me take a full week before we watched yeah. the end. Yeah, and I, and I still stand by that. I think that is a good thing to do, uh, especially if you're not somebody who... This is just my take, but I think the people that are obsessed with the lore of Evangelion are kind of, are kind of missing the point. Yeah. Um, because it's really the the series has some really fascinating lore. That's undoubtable. It, it's extremely interesting to read about all of that. But really, the core of Evangelion, the Angel's core, if you will, <laughs> is really about the the feelings of the characters and what the show is supposed to try and get you to feel on a deep emotional level. And I think that's what that's why i think it benefits from if you get to the end of the series episode 20 25 and 26 i think it's important to really hold on to that and think about that and don't necessarily push yourself through end of evangelion immediately because that's going to give you a whole new set of things to to uh to chew on that we're not going to get into in the course of this podcast right I, now. i remember also you told me that you wanted me to do that specifically because you wanted me to experience what it was like for an Evangelion fan to have the show ended like that for like how many years was it? Uh, Several. Uh, a, few months. A, a year? Not too long. Okay. Yeah. It wasn't terrible. The, the show, yeah, the show ended in 96 and then the movie came out, I want to say like late 97. So yeah. a good few months to a year. Yeah, but you were like, I want you to like feel how it felt for everybody who had to just wait. Yeah, and i was like i get that because like i did that when i showed somebody samurai jack i was like i want you to like watch this specific episode before you go on to season five and sit on it for a little bit and they're like why that episode's nothing and i was like exactly Mm, it is nothing until it is everything right (laughs) yeah tobias what's your evangelion story well uh mine is very similar to tori's it's definitely a formative experience for me as a as a fan, it was certainly not my first anime, but it's it sort of was the transitionary period or the point where I moved from you know casual, uh, casual observer of these Japanese cartoons to something a little more, 
a little more intense for sure. Uh, so I picked this up in high school. Uh, I was also going through a bit of a rough period of my life. Uh, my mother had just passed away unexpectedly and uh, I was dealing with that. And that wasn't a very easy experience, but uh, you know, suddenly there's this, this show and this group of friends who introduced me to the show that was about a, a, also a depressed young boy who also didn't have a mother and was dealing with his, some problems. And I know that it's it's sort of a common experience of people who are really into Ava to have found it during their their edgy years and have picked it up. And I know I kind of hate to be just another one of those guys, but I, I do feel like this show does speak to that mm-hmm. and speak to the, this pathos and in a very assessment way. You know, we can talk about um, you know Anna's depression and how that sort of worked creatively, creatively from Nadia into to Ava. But I think that that does speak to that particular generation of anime fan, uh, particularly in the 90s. I think that maybe we'll talk about it a little later as far as the uh, otaku transition or more of the classic sci-fi uh, period, the, the sci-fi fans, into the more hikikomori style in the bubble era, uh, post-bubble era Japan. Yeah, and as uh, Tori alluded to earlier, I did somewhat get into Evangelion because of her influence, but I will have to say that I did have a friend in high school who I knew was a really big fan of both Fooly Cooly and Gurren Lagann, and he is somewhat one of the reasons why I really got into Gurren Lagann specifically in high school, which was a hugely formative anime for me. Uh, specifically and that's sort of how i learned of the existence of evangelion and i was talking to him about evangelion and that's sort of how i learned about its existence i did not really learn about it through tv or through dvds or certainly not vhs tapes because i am not that old um but that's <laughs> sort of how i first um tuned into it like knew that it exists but really my push to watch it was uh knowing tori sort of on on the internet and knowing how much she really loved it and her her love for that really sparked me to want to finally check it out and i was just like you know the iconography of the show is just like absolutely incredible like you could i mean upon first glance like you can see how like you know there there are characters like oscar and ray that are sort of a dime a dozen but like specifically the way that they're they are designed along with shinji and misato and gendo and just like seeing them all together and seeing how the the design of the show really is so simple but so effective and like that the just the iconography continued to stand out to me uh through the years where i was i knew where that what ava gellion was but hadn't actually watched it for myself and then i took all of that knowledge sort of from a from a second or third hand perspective and pulled the trigger and bought myself evangelion 1.11 you are not alone and i watched that as my first introduction into evangelion because i had kind of gathered that from what i read online which has is less true in hindsight but essentially i understood it to be like a remake of the first few episodes of um of the tv series which is largely true but also not <laughs> that's like the, the only one time. that you can say that about because the rest yeah. of that's not true but that one yeah pretty much yeah and this was around i would say 2013 2012 2013 um so evangelion 2.0 had come out but at that time i only watched uh the original uh, rebuild film so i watched the rebuild film 
and then sort of put Ava down for a while. Um, I watched the film. I, I liked it, but I didn't love it. I think I expected it to be a little bit more bombastic and a little bit less introspective, maybe. And I don't think I was quite ready for it yet. But then some time passed, and then I uh, got the show into my hands in a method and uh (laughs) finally watched through it i actually i I had a horrible torrent back in the day it was a cropped 16 by 9 oh god disgusting um torrent of it and it it i don't know why i downloaded that one when i could have gotten like that was the the last time you you didn't know better probably it was just uh, it, ugh, just no good but that's how i watched it originally i watched it on my computer from that copy and i watched through with the english dub so uh, of course that original adv english cast means a lot to me as as it probably does to a lot of us here same but i watched through it and watched through it fairly quickly and i was just engrossed by the story i was just engrossed by all of the characters and just you know watching them suffer but also watching them like grow so much over the course of the story and really come to a fuller realization of what it means to be alive and what it means to like interact with other people in this world and i just thought it had such a wonderful message and i thought it it really appealed to me sort of on an emotional level because i've in my teen years and still going through to now, I mean, I would not characterize myself as someone with trauma per se, but I, I do feel like a general sense of melancholy a lot of the time. And I feel like Shinji's Shinji and Ray specifically their their general approach, their general melancholy about the world is something that I really identified with. And, um, you know, I think Asuka has some of that as well as, as well as Misato, but they show it off in different ways. Um, but there, there was just a lot I felt connected to a lot that I felt was really, um, really spoke to me about the series, even though, uh, it didn't really, it, Ava, Evangelion doesn't hit everybody the same way, but it hit me in a way that resonated, I guess I should say. Sure. Um, and then just watching the end of Evangelion after watching the series was just like mind blowing. And it was like one of the best movies I ever watched. So just saying, <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, since the the end of Ava, even though we're not going to really talk about it, you know, at length on the podcast, that being sort of the capstone of the series, uh, I think does seal the deal for a lot of people. Uh, end of Ava, I, I think I could safely say, you know, fandom or not, uh, is one of the best animated movies of all time. Yep. Uh, oh if yeah. Not from the nineties, yeah. uh, so just having that uh, kind of stand out is yeah. Ratatouille aside. <laughs> <laughs> Ratatouille. I had I of the nineties of the nineties. I said, yeah, <laughs> fair. It's actually kind of funny. Like right after we had discussed, uh, this is what we're going to do for the hundredth episode. I had a friend of mine who knew I had watched the show and that I was a pretty big fan, um, reach out to me and he's like, how should I watch this show? So I, I told him, I was like, I have a method that you can use to watch the original dub, which I vastly prefer, but the Netflix dub I still said is good. If you, want to do it that way um and he blitzed through the whole thing in like two days because he didn't listen to me when i told him to pace himself (laughs) Um, but he gets to the end of evangelion and then the the credit scene happens and he messages me in all caps is that seriously how they ended it and i was like (laughs) i don't know if i should tell you 
I guess before, because I, I do want to ask you guys sort of what you think about Evangelion from your like right now perspective in 2020, but I guess we can talk a little bit more about the show specifically and just sort of talk about what our favorite aspects of, of it are. Because for me, I think, again, I've talked about the iconography and how I think it's just, you know, brilliant in its simplicity, but I think it's just a vastly entertaining series to watch. Like, um, over the past few weeks, I've been watching some other episodes to get ready for this podcast, and I think that it, it does such an excellent job at making every single frame of the show just, like, really smart and sometimes extremely creative. Um, and I think that's just a a real testament to Gainax's raw talent and their raw skill and Anno's ability to really play with framing and play mm -hmm. with environments and play with characters and their emotions because he's able to tell you so much about a character's state of mind by just like showing like their like just one side of their face or like their shoulder or the way that they're sitting in a chair or like the fact that Shinji always looks at his hands all the time it's just like there's a lot of very um impressionistic uh, cinematography and framing in the show mm -hmm. both both to dramatic effect and i think to brilliant comedic effect because i don't i don't think anybody who watches the show can forget just how like funny and fun and enjoyable the uh dance like you want to win episode is yep that one was like the only one that i thought actually had like you know a brand of humor from start to finish for sure yeah. there's a lot of this like interaction specifically a lot of uh, I, I think especially in the first few episodes, Mizato's kind of a, a goofy kind of character, and so mm -hmm. she's trying to be. Uh, Mizato's trying to be like the fun aunt. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Not, and of course, like most fun aunts, she's kind of failing spectacularly at it. Yeah. The Zoomers, man. I mean the the most hilarious episode to me, or the most hilarious scene, I guess I would say, is when Shinji has to go into Unit Two. And, you know, I made fun of that in the beginning, but he's wearing Asuka's plug suit. And then oh my has God, to start. I love that so I didn't watch that in the new dub. Do they actually keep that? Like the think, think German thoughts joke? Is that is that in the new dub? No, yeah. I'm not sure. Uh, did, can you confirm, Ryan? Yeah, I, wa I watched the new dub. It's, it's still mm -hmm. there. Okay, good. Yeah. So I think like any good anime series, you know, it can have excellent iconography, it can have excellent action, it can have excellent uh, set pieces and music and all that stuff, which Evangelion absolutely does, but really what it comes down to is the characters and how well-realized they are. So I guess we just want to talk a little bit about maybe some of our favorite characters in Evangelion. I mean, I'm I'm kind of non-discriminatory in this situation and that I like really all of the characters. I think they all really bring a specific outlook and a specific flavor to the series. And I don't, even some of the side characters, I feel like this show really, really benefits from everybody that is involved, everybody that is, that is given some screen time. So I guess we'll go around and talk about maybe some of, some of who our favorite characters are. Sure. That's, that's a tough one. Because when I watched this, I was in college, so the only person I really related to was Masato because she drank a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think there really is something there. I mean, me, the way Misato is, is she's very much kind of like the archetype, archetypal like um, millennial at this point, where she's like um, extremely overworked, extremely overqualified for the nonsense that she has to deal with, and she is having to 
having to deal with the fact of sort of being in a weird transitory period in her life where she's like transitioning into adulthood and like out of um her her youth uh, as it were her college years or what have you and she really kind of struggles with that transition and i think that's very evident in her relationship with uh, kaji and ritsuko specifically mm-hmm. yeah i mean we kind of look back at her history she lost so much of that time that they talk about uh dealing with the trauma of second impact and uh and pretty much like you said kind of going through those college years with uh, her friends and then moving into the real world and and typical medical fashion just having to deal you know, I'm not ready to give up uh, the excesses of youth, but also accept this responsibility as, you know, savior of the world. Yeah, I mean, she's essentially what stands between, like, because I feel like if Misato were not there, then Shinji, I, it, it would have been a very different reality for Shinji because Misato kind of, in some ways, sort of grounds him in some sort of humanity that he never really gets from his dad. And the relationship that he has with Rey and Asuka is just so, like, constantly in flux. But, like, Misato sort of gives him gives him kind of some of the grounding that he kind of needs, like, from an emotional perspective. And it is absolutely not perfect, because, like, Misato is an extremely flawed uh, character. And, and her relationship with Shinji is uh, very, very strange at times. And she is definitely not the model the model foster parent in a lot of ways but she does sort of give him that grounding i think to realize that hey maybe he can sort of deal with all of these like very upsetting and dire things in his life but also like try and be normal at the same time yeah i think that uh i think any teenager of shinji's age is definitely at the point where they are uh leaving the nest so i think i like say at least for myself if not all of us that you know, that's certainly a period of time where we were ready to fight back against our parents uh, and sort of be our own person. And I think for that point of time of even Shinji's life, Mizato's doing as best as she can. You know, even if Gendo were a normal father, would he do a better job than Mizato? Honestly, probably not. And we, we can rag on her for not being the best, you know, role model exactly. But I think she's what she's as as she's what shinji needs at that point in time mm-hmm. uh, i feel like i don't know i find every character in the show relatable it just <laughs> depends on what you're trying to relate to i will die on the hill of being the self-proclaimed oscar fanatic um just <laughs> because i feel like i find myself relating to her the most um, but also Misato as well, just kind of as I get older and recontextualize things that happened. But um, like you guys said, no one in the show is perfect. And I think that's a really good example of humanity as a whole. Um, I know we've all done things that we're not proud of. And we will probably continue to do things that we're not proud of. But I think what matters is you learn from that experience and try every day to not try to mess things up again and make them better um Mm -hmm. ryan i know you were saying your nephew said something like what every day choose to make better choices (laughs) was that it (laughs) uh something like that yeah yeah so you know this child choose to make better choices i will choose to make better choices um and i think 
even though it doesn't always work out, that the characters try to do that or they always try to do what they think is right, even if it's not. Um, and I, I, you know, that's something people should strive to do every day is try to do the right thing. Um, mm-hmm. But freaking Asuka, man. I think everybody in their life is going to experience the thoughts of I'm not good enough and now I have to overcompensate by going, look at me, look at me. I can pilot a giant robot. Everybody, I think, in their life and probably will continue to feel like, you know, they're not good enough or something that they're doing is not good enough or someone's going to replace them. And that's that's something I struggle with very much. And to see that so well articulated in a character like it's weird to look at a character and think, wow, you know, that, <clears throat> sorry, hold on. It's like, wow, that was written to be something for everyone. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and, and that kind of comes through literally with everybody in the cast, um, mm-hmm. whether Shinji or even the nerve trio. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, I think you brought up a good point about how like so many of the characters are, they share a lot of aspects they are just sort of different trajectories of similar traumas Mm -hmm. like uh like asuka and misato you know specifically those two have had um they're both trying to make themselves seem adult but it's in two vastly different directions yeah yeah exactly and then they have very similar backgrounds in the sense that they are essentially they're adult or teen growing up life has been shaped by like the the deliberate actions of their parents and then like Mm -hmm. losing said parents and Mm -hmm. you know shinji is the same as well but he's really the only one that has to continue to confront a parent that still exists and is trying to trying to create trying to you know continue to make movements in his life for yeah. one way in one and way or another he tends to internalize a lot of things whereas like oscar is very bold and brash and quick to yes. anger and i'm just like oh girl um and misato too kind of externalizes things as well like she's quick to a temper and she drinks her problems away um mm-hmm. and things like that so um yeah shinji tends to be the one who internalizes things a bit more as does ray mm-hmm. yeah ray is an interesting case because i i think i think there there's there's one extreme view of ray that i don't really ascribe to that she is sort of like this uh she she people take the her being like spoiler alert her being like a, a lifeless clone of shinji's mother to like kind of an extreme degree but i think she has a lot more autonomy and personality than some people give her credit for especially if you look towards like the in the the latter half of the of the show and especially the um personal license that she takes to sort of take control of her own destiny in um the end of ava where she makes these uh specific decisions to deny sort of what she's been built for Hmm. um and i think there's a lot to learn there too about you know questioning perhaps because ray is extremely uncertain of herself it's like asuka and misato and shinji to some degree it's like at least they sort of understand in a general sense like what their mission is to do like what they have to do what they feel like they're obligated to do but ray is just like completely listless like she does things because she's told to do she doesn't really have an identity and then sort of 
goes through the motions of questioning it's just like well who who am i really like what am i supposed to do like am, mm-hmm. am i supposed to have autonomy or am i supposed to do th- am i supposed to just do everything that i'm told to do and i think there's you know the, even though ray is the less the less human character of of the main characters i think there's a lot to say to say with her as well yeah i think oscar probably is the most relatable one in the modern in like a more modern sense because she presents herself as a very confident person to everybody but then when you actually see the real her she actually has like real person struggles and everything and like identity struggles which i think is a thing that a lot of people struggle with nowadays but they want to they want to seem like you know somebody who's got all their shit together right and misato kind of does the same thing because you know whenever she's at home she's like kind of a slob or kind of depressed but uh you know at work she's incredibly competent you know she gets the job done she connects all of the power all of the power sources in the entirety of japan to help shinji fire a giant sniper rifle at a giant the mood (laughs) a giant you know um dodecahedron that's screaming um so she gets things done but whenever she comes home she just kind of falls apart yeah and she also just wants a boyfriend which is why she assaults shinji and almost suffocates him i think the uh the most relatable character is for me at least is kensuke wow i want to pilot the robot the the, the turbo nerd of the group Hey everybody, it's Ryan. I know that you've been hearing me talk during this episode, but I wanted to say something else during editing that I didn't really get a chance to say during the episode, and that's that I am really proud of the fact that we've managed to actually make it to 100 episodes so far, and I am just so happy to be working with this group, and I love all these people so, so much. So congratulations to us. Here's to another 100. Being introduced to this series, of course, I identify with Shinji. Uh, I thought it was neat that at least my baby weeb experience to see a, a main protagonist that wasn't completely gung ho and ready to, you know, pilot the giant robot and beat all the bad guys to, you know, have a kid that was depressed and going through some stuff and uh, a bit of a coward. And to sort mm-hmm. of see this more, what I would think is a realistic take on um, war and a kid being forced to go to war uh, i think well it was pretty neat and interesting and to see his growth especially through the end and to see a lot of uh the growth we see in both the last two episodes as well as the the movie uh something that resonated very strongly with me at the time so i know that you know for as cliche as it can be for Ava to resonate with you as a as a teenager as cliche is going to be for Shinji to be that character, uh, I do have to admit, yeah, he was kind of important to me at the time. Uh, growing up, I, I can recognize that, but also realize that I'm I'm definitely over those days. I don't quite feel the same now, naturally. Uh, so I have tended to sort of resonate toward Misato for the same reasons, being the burnt-out millennial. 
the person has sort of gone through the prime uh, of their youth, or at least feels like they've gone through sort of their prime, and is trying to make sense of uh, this adulthood and still try to be relevant and just prove that they can still party with the kids <laughs> and the penguins. <laughs> Speaking I think of, whenever we whenever we record an Evangelion retrospective, you know, a couple decades from now, we'll all change our minds and say, you know, we really identify with Gendo, and that's why we joined a death cult. Uh, <laughs> I mean, any moment now. <laughs> I think the character I'm most jealous of, though, is Pen Pen. Yeah. He's just he living just, it up. He just sitting in his little Pen refrigerator, Pen, drinking his beer. I think Pen Pen probably has the most insight of any character because he doesn't get involved he just observes that's He's true. a silent yes. watchman yeah <laughs> so one interesting character in ava that is extremely popular among fans uh that we haven't really talked about too much because he doesn't show up too too much in the original series but he does make a gigantic impression is uh kaoru nagisa the one i guess the last main character that's introduced in the show and Mm -hmm. he's a very interesting case because he sort of represents kind of what shinji has been longing after for this for basically the entire duration of the show is just for like someone to actually like pay attention to him and appreciate him and love him for who he is not what he can like do for them or what he should do for them and i think that's a really interesting uh, illustration there but uh kaoru is a just a really interesting character because he is in it for so little but he comes in and makes like a massive impression to the point where he's essentially become like one of people's like all-time favorite characters from ava mm-hmm. um god i want to talk more and more about him but like everything that i love about kaoru comes from the rebuild movies Mm-hmm. Well, that's where he actually got more than, like, 15 minutes of screen time. I know. Yeah. So I, I guess I just want to say that I was, like, what I was kind of joking about earlier is, you know, unconditional love is not a great thing. On paper, it seems very sweet and, you know, like what everybody should want, but unconditional love is not a healthy thing. And I no. know Shinji... I sympathize because I can put myself in those shoes, but, you know, he was so desperate for love, and I feel like we've all been there, that you kind of just, like, ignore all the bad things that are happening around you because you feel like you're so in love and this person's so in love with you, Um, but there's no, there's no accountability held there, and I have a, I have a whole soapbox I could go off on if we were talking about the rebuilds, but... Kaoru was essentially useless, but then there's also that one scene that I know a lot of people were up in arms about it getting um, kind of retranslated into something completely different that changes the complete meaning of a particular scene. Oh gosh, what was it? It was something like... It was the very end where Kaoru says, I love you, before Shinji uh, crushes him. And no, it's, it's, where no he it's not it that one. The, uh, it's where he says it in the, um, in the Nerve bathhouse. Yeah. Wasn't that? He says, uh, you are worthy of my affection. Yes. Worthy and of my grace. You're worthy of my grace. And yeah, yeah. there was a whole oh, hubbub yeah. about that. But yeah. I feel like I very 
genuinely remember Shinji going like, I don't care he's a boy. Am I remembering that correctly? <laughs> no, I, I don't I don't know. That doesn't happen. That might happen in one of the other like spin-off manga or something, but that, that doesn't happen in the show. <sighs> Alright, well maybe I feel like it was in one of the movies or something that somebody brought that up and it sounds so like blase, but I feel like Shinji at some point was just like, I don't care because it's love or something i don't know i could be misremembering but he uh i mean he definitely like blushes and stuff when he does that so there's definitely you guys are talking over each other hold on can you start over tobias yeah so uh it's not it's not really set out right but like shinji blushes when he says that and the way he sort of acts is is definitely it's it's certainly implied through, through the framing of the scenes if not set out right Right, and then they just yeah. take it. They take it to the next level in three point oh. And oh my god, I'm so mm-hmm. excited to talk about that. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think yeah, I think everything. Just kind of sitting here and thinking about it, it's just like man, everything about Kaoru kind of sucks. And I, I, I'll explain what I mean by that. But it's just like you know, here's a character that we find out you know really does seem to appreciate Shinji for exactly who he is and is really fascinated by him as a person and really treats him with dignity and respect and then we find out that he's an angel and then Shinji has to kill him or the world will end and sadly the world ends anyway but you know yeah I love neither here nor there I think that's a very good take on like and I'm very guilty of this. You know, when people feel very genuinely afraid to feel happiness because at any one moment it's going to be taken right out from under you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a very that's, real anxiety. Exactly. That's how I kind of always read Kaoru's character. Like, just with that particular thing when they figure out he's the angel and all that, where it's like, and, you know, no wonder Shinji had that breakdown. Like, for one moment he felt like he could be happy and then it was all just taken away like by his yeah. own hand essentially mm-hmm. um which is even more traumatic like having to kill the person that you might have been in love with or you knew loved you like i couldn't mm-hmm. even imagine but i guess okay. i guess rethinking about that scene because ultimately shinji makes the decision in the very end of the series that he wants to live for others sort of in the abstract and for himself as well yeah. and i think i think the the, the kaoru thing while certainly extremely tragic and everything it's sort of i i think it might have been what finally told shinji that he cannot put all of his self-worth in what anyone specifically thinks of him mm-hmm. and that includes you know kaoru's unconditional love kind of what you said mm-hmm. because you know kaoru can shower shinji with affection and all that stuff but like shinji's never gonna really truly be able to be a fully realized person unless he learns how to love himself for himself mm-hmm. yeah i mean up to that point kawaru is basically a crutch uh he was the love that shinji was looking for since before episode one and never could get uh, all the influences of shinji's life were pretty much telling him to to basically man up to become an adult even Mizato is is there to sort of tell him even the first, you know, the very beginning episodes when he runs away is very much, you, you can't just do this to sort of, um, you know, you can't just identify as an avid pilot because you have to for the sake of others. You've got to, you got to do it because you want to do it and you've got to come to that decision yourself. But like Shinji struggles with that so much. And even he sort of tries to find that through his sort of playful rivalry with Asuka in some of the episodes through trying to connect to Ray, and it's important to, to remember that uh, the Kawaru episode happens right after uh, 
the stuff happens with Asuka, where she just kind of gets destroyed by that one angel, mm-hmm. and uh, and yeah. she kind of loses her mind for a bit, and she she's kind of adrift. Uh, he can't find, he can't use anybody as a crutch. I mean, I use the term "use" you know lightly there, but that's pretty much what he's doing. He's using Mizato and Asuka and and Ray even as crutches for his self worth, and he's struggling. And then Koro shows up and gives him that unconditional love gives him that love that he's been looking for since since the beginning and you know it, it all falls apart uh and surely he he does break down and we see in the movies that just gets worse but uh, i think tv ending or movie ending whatever uh he does have to come to the conclusion that uh yes living with people sucks it can be challenging but there is worth in doing that and there's worth in loving yourself and relying on yourself rather than the uh, affections and, and love of others. Well said. Hey there folks, it's me, Edwin, making my cameo for this episode. I am in shock that this is episode 100. From being the guy referenced in several episodes to now participating with the rest of the 3rd Impact crew, I am proud of the work put in by everyone here. 3rd Impact Anime is a panel and podcast group, but most importantly, it is family to me. We could not do this without everybody listening, and from the bottom of my heart, thank you. This is only the beginning, and I can't wait to see what the future has in store for Third Impact Anime. So, uh, of course we wanted to do Evangelion specifically because of our 100th episode, but Ava has sort of been in the zeitgeist of everyone's mind again as if it ever left. Because earlier this year, it, um, was it earlier this year? I don't know, time time is an illusion. I think but, it was uh, about early... a year ago at this point. About a year yeah, ago, maybe, yeah. maybe a year ago or so, um, Netflix licensed the series for worldwide distribution, which is really awesome because it had been out of print in the U.S. for quite some time. Um, and we got a we got the brand new uh, Japanese Blu-ray HD transfer version um, on Netflix, and you can watch it in high def for the first time here in the states. Um, but to the chagrin of uh, the voice actors involved and to many fans, they did do a brand new English dub for for Evangelion. And initially, you know, we we discussed this in the Tiffany and Grant episode because. All of us have a have a deep appreciation, a deep love, and a deep connection to that original ADV cast, and the fact that they continued to use those um, at least the three main uh, actors in the rebuild films sort of showed that they have really evolved as actors over the years. And while the original dub may be very rocky in some places, the original three uh, cast members really 
really have honed in their performance in the last decade or so with um, the rebuild films. So we really would have liked to see them return to redub the series, you know, all this time later, considering they're all you know, basically all still acting. But yeah, uh, Netflix yeah. decided to go in a different direction, and they did do a brand new dub with a brand new dub cast. And uh, initially, I was kind of reserved about that, but having having watched it sort of with an open mind and you know, really, I've I've come to really appreciate the new dub and see it as just like a new interpretation of Ava. And I think that actually makes it more interesting to return to because you get it from a a fresher perspective from a, a brand new crop of actors uh some of them who may have been longtime evangelion fans some of them who may have never heard of this of the series in their life uh both equally valid i think and i, I think listening to the new dub while it's, it's it has a few issues one of which we discussed a little bit earlier but I, I really enjoyed it so far i've just watched a few episodes but i think it's really tight yeah i watched it when it first came out and like obviously like we, there's a lot of good voice actors out there so like everybody was like it's going to be horrible why are they redubbing it i was like i don't think it's necessarily going to be horrible like it's not going to be the original but there's no reason that just because it's not the original that's going to be horrible and i actually think it's a pretty solid dub i don't i still don't understand why they decided to redub it in the first place like there are plenty of anime on netflix that have that are like older than evangelion that they didn't touch so i'm like why did you make the decision to do that like and also they took out fly me to the moon which is a sin of its own um but that's a that's a copyright music issue which is i actually get that one right but like it actually it's kind of weird because i did find a chrome extension that re-adds it (laughs) <laughs> um, it, literally, it literally serves one purpose of if i'm watching evangelion on netflix when it gets to the credits it will play fly me to the moon that's, that's so specific silly. yeah so, I, I, so um, I imagine there's certainly a rights issue both with the the original yeah. dub and with that song i had it mm. i'm kind of of the opinion you know i realize that that's the issue and i as a commentator on media i understand that but as a consumer of media, I don't care. Uh, I want the best product possible. Yeah. And as someone who recognizes that Ava is a big get and recognizes that while we watch companies like Discotech give their releases the perfect treatment, uh, Netflix had really no excuse not to throw all their money to make this the most perfect get they could. Especially so, uh, since no. they spent like, what, $10 million to keep friends? God, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Evangelion is at least worth $11 million. Yeah. <laughs> So finding the moon at least is uh, unforgivable. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the dub itself, my opinion, as someone who's watched the series several times, both in the Japanese and the original English audio, it is impossibly impossible for me to divorce my nostalgia uh, with this. Oh yeah, so yeah. It was a bit mm-hmm. of a challenge. Uh, that will say it sounds passable. Uh, there were maybe it's just the headphones I was using when I skimmed some of these episodes, but the audio seems a little quiet on the voice track compared to everything. Uh, I wish it were a little louder, uh, but maybe that's just me. 
Uh, the one unforgivable sin besides Fly Me to the Moon is they don't have Mizato out of the words baloney pony in the last episode, which I can never forgive uh, Netflix for doing. Ray, Ray actually says that line, by the way. Oh, yeah, that's Ray. Ray. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It yes, Ray. Ray. Um, How could I forget Ray saying the words oh, it, baloney oh, it, pony? Yeah. <laughs> it certainly has a few other sins, and I think Tori was about to mention that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't want to say that I'm a voice acting snob or anything, because that sounds way too dramatic for how i see things i will give them the positive of using different sounding voices because you know something that i've criticized multiple times in these episodes are most american voice actresses or actors sound the same you either have this like deep manly thing or all your female characters sound like this like it's it's one of the two there's no real variation in between but i will say that that's something that stuck out to me everybody sounded so different from each other i don't necessarily think i enjoyed the voice actress for oscar trying to emulate tiffany grant because like that Nah, she's one of a kind Exactly. She's one of a kind. And I think with this redubbing that she should have given it the performance that she thought it needed and not try to sound like Tiffany Grant. Same thing with the voice actor who voices Shinji. Uh, There was a little like voice cracking a la Spike Spencer. And I'm just thinking, you know, you guys probably grew up on that. That's fine. But this is your performance. Make that your own performance. Um, I think that's kind of the problem in general is like, I'd be mm -hmm. surprised if anybody could really divorce themselves from the nostalgia of it. Like the only person I know who had no complaints of it is the friend that I mentioned earlier who like just watched it. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I have no nostalgia of the originals and I Mm -hmm. thought it was fine. It's difficult. Um, And I'm like, yeah, like. I'm glad that you said that because yeah, yeah. like but I, now I know it's like it's good. And exactly, honestly, want... people people like your friend are really who this new dub is for, honestly. Yeah. Right. And I want to say shout out to the voice casting people for getting a trans actor. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, who? Make it make it happen more. Um the actor that voices Shinji is identifies as trans. Oh, oh okay. Mm-hmm. I didn't yeah. know that. Nice. Yeah, hire more trans people in your dubs. Please, God. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I think, I mean, I, I'm always somebody who is excited to check out new dubs, and I, I think they're fascinating just to hear different interpretations of characters. Um, so in that sense, I, I really do appreciate the new dub, but I will, of course, always, always have a fondness for that old ADV dub, even though it is it can be extremely janky for any characters that are not our main characters. Mm-hmm. Um I guess another weird thing that is totally a Studio Kara mandate that is probably what soured them towards working with ADV back in the day is that there were a, tr- a bunch of translation um, things that um, ADV changed back in the day, like changing the pronunciation of nerve and tra- changing the terminology of calling Shinji, Asuka, and Rei first child, second child, third child to first children, second children, third children. I hated that. I hated that. So wait, how was nerve how was nerve supposed to be pronounced? So in the Yeah. In the in the ADV in the ADV dub and in the um Funimation rebuilds they they pronounce it nerve, but in like with a very American you know are to it Mm -hmm. Uh, but but they do the german um pronunciation in the new dub they call it nerve nerve Nerve. which which is i guess that's supposed to be correct but but i'm just like i hate that yeah it stands out in this one right the the child children thing is what infuriates me the most 
I, Dude, I don't that, know why I, it that was read. the only thing that like really jumped out at me. I was like, why are they doing that? It's not yeah. proper English. It incites a primal <laughs> rage in me. Right. <laughs> Pretty silly. Hi, so, I'm the second children. Nice to meet you. <laughs> Speaking of German, I didn't I didn't really get to watch the whole thing, but a few of the Oscar scenes, they don't really push her speaking German. Maybe oh, they bummer. did later. But that's something that sort of stood out to me with, with Tiffany's performance is that she really brought that knowledge mm-hmm. of the German language to her. I, I will say that there's that one scene in the one episode where Asuka gets the phone call from her yeah. foster mom in Germany. And they do recreate okay. that scene in, in German in the new dub. So okay. I, was, okay, cool. I was extremely grateful to yeah, hear that. I was, because, I was about to ask. That was a, that's, yeah. that's sort of the main one. Because apparently they, they never did that in the Japanese version. I'd have to go back and double check my well, my facts. Kind of. It's 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 not it's not as verbose as, as Tiffany's performance. Like you okay. can hear the German, but it's like English German, you mm, know? So I, it's, I guess you could say like I don't know what the Deutsch it's Deutsu, let's put it that way. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's Deutsu. Uh, <laughs> but it, you can you can kinda hear it. But Tiffany right. really brings it uh as someone who watched the show they taking german classes at the time yeah I, it was kind of like that leo dicaprio meme you know where he points at the tv like oh oh well, i know <laughs> i know this i can understand it i know uh, what gluten morning means yeah. <laughs> i understood that reference yeah exactly um uh, but yeah i think i you know as much as they changed i think they were for the better i do think nerve just sounded more uh more natural uh especially since all you do is take the the final e off it makes it seem like a a really cool sci-fi organization mm-hmm. really need to push the german and it it does stand out here not in a good way uh again i know we're never talking about the movies but uh if you've seen the old manga entertainment uh into Ava dub they they changed the pronunciation of ava to eva Mm-hmm. No. for some reason and that again just just mm-hmm. like this kind of stands out through the entire performance as a, a weird change that seems unnecessary they do maintain Ava as a pronunciation in the new Netflix dub but another thing they do change and I cannot quite remember exactly what they changed it but they changed the pronunciation of Sele I think it's like Sealy. Seal. Yeah, like, it's like seal what? or something. Yeah. Which, Why would again, they do that? I don't know. I don't know. If they're maintaining again, German, that makes no sense. It's not as horrible as first children, but you know. Now whatever. that you're reminding me of all this now, and I am remembering that, yes, this is what they do, and I hate it, but like, besides that, like the performances themselves yeah. are fine, but just the direction mm-hmm. they took, I was like, why? Yeah. And, and really, honestly, for the record, I do want to say that the performances are what matters most. And generally speaking, I think they nailed it. Like, it is mm-hmm. much tighter than the original dub, even though that original dub is iconic. Um, but yeah, it's just, just weird nitpicks that us as longtime Ava fans would want to point out. And uh, differences that you as listeners, uh, if you're not fans of Ava, might be curious to know about.
Alright guys, we've come to the end of our episode talking about Neon Genesis Evangelion, but we want to go quickly around the table and get everyone's final thoughts on the series. So, Tori, I'll start with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I guess I would say if you want to understand me and a lot of people better as people, I would say watch the show if you want to open the expanses of your mind and think about thinking and what it means to be a human being and interacting with others and realize that even when the world is really shitty, there's still some good things left in it. And you are one of those. Um, I would watch Ava. I don't know. I, it just means so much and I don't want to go on too much of a soapbox, but I think if you're looking for something, this is it. I definitely think it's a solid show, and it definitely makes you think a lot more than other shows do, and like Austin said, it's not really a show you follow so much for the lore. It does have some good things, but it more so wants you to think, and that drove me nuts at first because I'm a lore junkie, but um, it definitely is a show that I'm very happy I watched, and yeah, I'd watch it again, honestly. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, and Ryan is sort of a great case study for this, a lot of people think that like, oh, if you, did, if you didn't watch Evangelion whenever you were like a depressed teenager, it probably isn't going to click with you the same way. But I don't necessarily think that's true because it has a lot of teenage characters with their teenage angst in it, but it also has essentially the adult side of that as well for an adult audience to really identify with. And I think a lot of people may forget that. So even if you're... Even if you're older, you know, out of your teen years, there's a lot that you can really get from Ava. And and honestly, even having said that, you know, sort of the struggles that we deal with as, as kids and teenagers, I mean, they don't necessarily go away as we become adults. They just evolve and they change. So and, and everybody remembers what it was like to be in those formative years. And I think there's a lot to learn here. And I think just looking at Evangelion from the perspective of 2020, it's just like, you know, they, they live in a world that is like, that exists in this sort of apocalyptic state where the powers that be are only interested in like accumulating more power and essentially like, you know, amassing the ability to just continue to perpetuate mass death. And that's really all that they care about. Yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting interpretations on looking at Evangelion through like a lens of climate change and uh, dealing with feelings of powerlessness and not really knowing what to do whenever the entire system seems to be built on, you know, again, death, essentially. Um, so there's a lot, <laughs> a lot of negative things that Evangelion is, was extremely sort of prophetic about, but... Even as we've said, there's a lot of uh, positives in there as well, you know, with conversations about, you know, learning to love yourself and sort of redefining the lens in which you see the world and you see yourself and you see others. So I think I think there's a lot that a brand new audience in 2020 can can get from from Ava. What do you really say about the series? We just had everything said about it, really. You know, it's, it's, it's tough to bring, I feel like, tough to bring something new to the table, something that has received so much discourse, uh, so much adoration, so much spite over the, what, 20, 25 years it's been in this earth. Uh, it's definitely the, the big anime story of the 90s, of that particular era and time. And I think that it's important for that reason, regardless. Uh, anybody new to fandom should definitely explore it as such. But uh, just like 
stuff like Space Battleship Yamato and Mobile Suit Gundam were the the parables of the 70s and the 80s for that generation of fan. As just like Ava is the is the Gundam story for the mid 90s. And I just like I'm sure we've got stuff for the kids getting into anime now that are in just mm-hmm. as impactful. Uh, I think this is certainly nothing else, a, a moment in time, which is important to see the full scope of things. Uh, maybe you don't quite feel the same adoration that we do as we see grow, you know, we grew up with this. Maybe that that affection falls to different series. But I do think this, if nothing else, is historically important to uh, to our community as a whole. It's personally important to us. And, uh, you know, I do think... Like I said, maybe too many words have been spoken about this, but I think that's uh, to some degree for good reason. I think there's a lot of uh, personal pathos from the director, from the creative staff. There's a lot of history of these group moving forward. Uh, There's a lot of lessons to be learned. And I think if nothing else, uh, just like Unit 1 floating through space at the end of the movie, uh, you know, we'll see Ava sort of persist throughout the anime canon through the end of time very poetic tobias mm-hmm. all right folks that brings us to the end of this episode talking about neon genesis evangelion for the first time it will definitely not be the last time because we have even in all of this discussion that we've done there's still so many different angles to look at evangelion because it is such a fascinating show with a equally fascinating history and legacy so uh, this definitely will not be the last time that we talk about Ava, but thank you for joining us for this episode, this extremely exciting 100th episode. And we've got a lot more episodes that we've already recorded in the backlog and just waiting to be released. And hopefully we will get those on the feed within the next few weeks. So thank you all so much for listening to us ramble about one of our favorite anime of all time. I guess we'll just go around here and tell, tell you listeners where you can find us. Our website is thirdimpactanime.com, and you can find a content archive of all of our previous episodes on there, including a special tab that has all of our interview episodes. Our most recent interview was with anime scholar Helen McCarthy. Soli and I did that one, and it was extremely fun, extremely fascinating to hear Helen talk about her uh, very long career in anime academia. You can follow us on Twitter at T-I underscore anime. And you can follow me on Twitter at BebopShock. And Tobias, where can people connect with you? I am also on the bird site. Uh, My handle is at Reverend underscore Tobias. And Tori? You can find me on Twitter at WorstWaifu. Ryan? You can find me at Midshelf Ryan, and as mentioned earlier in the podcast, you can find me on YouTube at Midshelf Gaming. Okay, that now brings us to the end of episode 100. And now, without further ado, we present our congratulations chorus, made up of listeners, friends, fellow podcasters, and even a very special guest, Amanda Wynn Lee, the original voice of Ray Ayanami. Big thanks to everyone for helping us make this milestone so special. We'll see you soon. Congratulations. 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 Congratulations.
Congratulations. Congratulations. Congratulations. Congratulations. Make sure to tune in next week for more fan service.